What's up, guys? Welcome to the Granger Smith Podcast, episode 36. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thanks for listening. I'm grateful for this platform. I'm grateful for the First Amendment so that I could exercise my freedom of speech, get on here, speak to you guys, uh, tell you what's on my mind, tell you about uh, what's going on in my life, tell you the uh, about the state of the world, at least the way I see it, and to invite some of my friends on here to chat. So if you're new to this podcast, um, thank you. Thank you for watching if you're on YouTube. And I would encourage you to go backwards. This whole thing started in the back of my bus on tour. And I wanted to give people an idea of who I am and where I came from, um, especially when it comes to music business. How we ended up here. How did, how did Yee Yee come around? How did, uh, how did I start even playing guitar? Who are my influences? That's... That was the inspiration behind this podcast originally. Um, then it is now shifted to every Monday. We're going to put these out early every Monday, so hopefully you're commuting to work and it gives you something to do, to listen to, to watch while you're commuting to work. And uh, it gives me a platform to sometimes to answer questions, um, sometimes just to get in front of a camera and uh, keep you guys updated. So regardless, thank you for all that. Uh, the, the world, as far as my world in touring is still very slow. Um, we're looking to get back soon. I know we have, we have a couple dates in June. Those are in Texas. Uh, there are some dates in July and I would expect, and I've been saying this, that this will continue to double and double and double every month until late fall. We're back. I mean, our December is full so hoping that, that that stays the same, like, it, like it's always been, uh, it's going to be really fun. And as I believe, and I, I kind of preach this to people, I feel like we're living in a pent-up economy right now. There's a lot of people that just want to go out and want to grab a beer and, and listen to a band. I know I do. And so I, I feel like so many people, especially those, the majority that have not lost their jobs, unlike me, are are saving money that they would have spent uh, at the movie theater or going out to the bar or even going to the beach or things like that. So um, I am excited that when this tour does, the floodgates open, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. Um, we'll be able to pack out some rooms again and feel that passion. I'm also going to put an album out in the fall. I don't know, know exactly when, but I do. I am looking at a, a whiteboard right here that I've written all of the songs that I know are going to go on there and the process that those songs are in as far as what they need instrumentation-wise, what they need vocally. Some lyrics need to be tweak, tweaked, but I'm looking at that board right here. So that uh, that's going to be fun because when, this, when the floodgates open and we do start touring like crazy, I'm going to have a bunch of new songs to play. So today is, is a fun podcast with uh, one of my best friends and my tour manager. He is notorious on the internet. Uh, so many people know him for his big personality and big biceps. <laughs> I want to introduce you if you don't know him already and, uh, and hear the backstory of how we got together, how we became friends, and then how we eventually became friends that worked together very closely. This is an interview with Chris Lee.
Dip cans and diesel Mud tires and smoke Long line of four by fours Up and down an old back road Range your cold ones high redneck invasion Yeah, you're rocking with that So the year was 2000. I just moved to Nashville. I moved to Nashville July 1st, 2000. Hmm. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't have any friends at all. Uh, I had a couple connections through people that knew somebody that moved to Nashville. And, uh, and then I knew that you were there. I had heard that Chris Lee, the, the, the drummer from the Garland Opry, moved to Nashville a few years before me. It was big news. To, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> at the time, the, I, I just, you know, there, there was a, a small group of Texans that lived there around my age. So mm-hmm. I went into a, a bar called Silverado's, a dance hall, country honky-tonk, and I was there just having a few beers, and I had known, I don't even know if you know this, but in my desperation to have a friend, God. <laughs> I went through the Yellow Pages, which used to be a thing. Yeah. Not a thing anymore. Went through the, no, sorry, the, the, white, white, the white Pages. I already forgot. So the White Pages book, the Nashville <clears throat> Metropolitan White Pages, and I went through and found the Lees. And there was like four Chris Lees. Mm-hmm. This is a sign of the times. I would call, starting with the first one, just call the number. Hello? Chris? Yep. Chris Lee from Garland, Texas? And they'd say, huh? I'd say, sorry, wrong number. So I did that four <laughs> times, and it, none of them were you. So fast forward a few months, I'm in, I'm in this honky-tonk, and this guy comes up to me. I barely recognized him. Cowboy hat. No, 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 no. You weren't cowboy hat. You were very uh, slick dressed at the time, I believe. Okay, uh, that was and, a phase I was in, I guess. Yeah, and and this this guy super tan in in uh, a colder month, <laughs> <laughs> and you said, "You Granger Smith," and I'm like, you know, at the time, no one said that to me. I was like, "Yeah," and he goes, "Chris Lee." Garland Opry. <laughs> and I was like, my God, Chris, I found you, man. It was, uh, it was a really big deal to me that I found a guy from Texas and the guy I had been looking. And we weren't real. I wouldn't consider us good friends. Yeah, we knew each other. We knew each other. We were acquaintance, acquaintances. And, and no one at the time had <clears throat> everybody's social media account or phone numbers. that just didn't exist. Yeah. Cell phones are actually pretty new. Like if you had a cell phone number, you you didn't have a long contact list. So, needless to say, we hit it off that day at Silverado's, had a few beers, exchanged phone numbers, and then our our uh, we had no, although we had known each other probably five years before that, our real friendship began then. Mm-hmm. Starting with a co-write, I believe was the first thing we did. Yeah. So. Allison, who I'm still married to, yeah. we were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. Uh, we invited you over to her apartment. Okay. And okay. I remember I hadn't heard you play or sing 
since our Garland Opry days, which was, you know, probably three years before. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we had you come over and, like, I don't even think we were going to write. We were just going to play and just hang out and, and drink a few beers and everything. And uh, I, like, played for you a little bit. And you're like, oh, that's great. And then you started playing. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't remember this guy being this good back at our Opry days. But something know. happened in those couple of years. I think maybe you had gotten out and started playing uh, in your own band and everything. But I think that might be a little bit of exaggeration. Or you just don't remember... It was a major leap. I mean, you were you were good, you know, little singer in your your Grand Opry days, but there was a a drastic change. And at that point, I was like, well, "This this freaking guy's gonna he's gonna be huge. He's gonna make it." So, well, so I'm still waiting I'll, for you to make it. By the way, I just <laughs> yeah, right. Somewhere around that time, I was also needing a roommate. I had an extra room. Yeah, and so I asked you, "Hey, you want to be my roommate?" Yeah. And you were like, well, man, I was kind of, I'm just kind of crashing at my girlfriend's apartment. Yeah. And I was kind of actually looking Didn't have for a whole lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the one time we met to write. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but I said, uh, I, whatever parking lot, EMI publishing or something. Mm-hmm. I said, meet me there. Uh, I'm driving a big white truck. And you said, cool, I'm driving a big red truck. Mm-hmm. And you pulled in with the legit. Big Ford pickup diesel, yep. and I was driving a just a normal fifteen hundred Z seventy one Chevy. But the funny thing was that what what occurred to me was that at the time I was driving a big truck because no one was driving a truck in Nashville really. Yeah, and and another Texan comes in and actually had a <laughs> a legit big truck. Yeah, and uh, we hit it off soon after. I mean, you moved in. It wasn't long after the Silverados run in. Yeah, yeah, we're we're uh, we became good buddies and fellow honky tonkers. And yeah, we would. So starting then, we would we would go out together, hit the honky tonks, hit downtown Nashville. Which if y'all haven't been to downtown Nashville, it's always a good time. And um, did a lot of a lot of things that uh, were pretty reckless. <laughs> You know, careless at the time. Yeah. Our kids will eventually listen to this, so we can't get into too much of that. But we we spent our early 20s living it to the fullest, mm-hmm. we'll put it that way. Um, we we wrote songs together. Uh, we, we both sang together at times. And then sometimes I would sing and you'd play drums. And then sometimes I would play steel guitar and you would sing or play drums. Yeah. With Trent. And our relationship grew basically building the backstory of of us because i don't think anybody really knows you other than tour manager yeah so there's not much else to know well no you're you're actually a really good artist really good songwriter you've always been a great singer great guitar player Uh, Um, not just a guitar player but just um you you're the kind of guy that could pick up any instrument because you have a really good ear you could pick up piano guitar drums um it's Pretty. important to know that I'm not great at any of those things, right? I get a little bit good. Depends on who you're comparing yourself to. <laughs> That's true. Compared to the rest of the world, you're a, you're a pro at all those things. Um, and it, 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 I guess we, we also be, we're stayed really good friends because our schedules were really different. We stayed mm-hmm. out of each other's way. Yeah. And you had, you had a, a day job that was very demanding, and you were gone a lot. And then we would come together on the weekends and 
and do our shenanigans. Mm-hmm. So about 2004, I moved back from Nashville back to Texas to start a band. Asked you to come with me. Mm-hmm. You said no. Good reasons. You know, you had roots in Nashville. You had um, a serious girlfriend at the time who is now your wife. And you had a good job. So it would have been silly to leave with me. I was because I, part of my going back was going to finish college, live on my uncle Johnny's couch, had nothing going on. Mm-hmm. I was going to start an open mic night. So there's nothing to go back for. Um, so things developed. You, your career started really taking off. You became um, regional manager at a company called Cytex. Is that right? Regional manager, district manager, district manager. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was a hard. And I mean, the way that you lay this out there, you make it made it sound like you didn't have a whole lot going on in College Station, and that is true. You yeah, know, you were trying to develop some roots and yeah. everything, but it still was a difficult decision for me yeah. not to make that move because I, I really, just as I do today, I firmly believed in what you were doing, and in what in what you were as an artist. And I didn't know what role I was going to have in that someday, but I knew I had to be a part of it. So that that was a difficult decision for me not to make that move to College Station. And this is coming from a, a diehard Texas Longhorn fan, too, yeah, moving to yeah. College Station. And, and that being said, College Station has kind of always been known as a Texas music, music hub, along with Austin and Lubbock and... There's probably a handful of others. So mm-hmm. if you're playing Texas country music, you'd, you're going to want to live in one of the San Marcos, New Braunfels, College Station, Austin, Lubbock, Dallas, Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's I guess that's why you would. And Houston's probably somewhere on that list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So years go by. You get married. I go, I go to your wedding. Oh, uh, best you, man. You have a baby. Um, I'm starting to tour a little bit more. We're st- barely touring at all outside of the state of Texas, but we are going to Nashville and doing some bar gigs. Mm-hmm. And every time we would go to Nashville, I, I would crash at your house, mm-hmm. you know, and um, we would we would catch up. But still, never really thought during that time that there was a huge future with us. Past that, mm-hmm. it didn't seem like it because your roots were getting deeper. Um, my connection with Texas was getting stronger. So it was a, gosh, I don't know when it was. It was actually before Meadow, your first child, that I asked you again. Mm-hmm. In fact, I invited you down, and you came yep. to College Station. Because I remember drinking beer at the Dixie Chicken. Yep. And I said, I want to, I want to invite you down to join me. And I don't think I said tour manager. I think it was like just be in the band or be part of... Because you're also a really good lead guitar player, so you, you could have done anything at that point. Yeah, I, I don't remember what the title I was. I think it was just to be down there and just be yeah. part of it, which I, you know, I would have been grateful to. My my sales pitch to you was move move everybody. Actually, it's just Allison. Move Allison, but uh, Allison had a good job, and in your job was I, my my sales pitch was. I know you got a good job. I know you're making consistent money, but you're not doing music, man. You love right. music. You want to be in music. Yeah. And you said no again. Um, both of the times you said no were really good decisions on your part. It wasn't. It was too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it. But it's funny looking back because then it was. That was probably. 
I don't know what year it was, but it was 2013 when things Earl Dibbles was out, mm-hmm. and th- you, which you helped write the Country Boy song, so you're kind of at the ground floor of Earl Dibbles. You saw that what that did for us as a band, and then two years after Earl Dibbles, I asked you again, this time with a mission to be my tour manager. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sitting here thinking, I don't want to hire a, a glorified merch guy. No offense to merch guys. I don't want to hire. The, Tyler was done. You know, Tyler was done with trying to be tour manager. He was already had his eyes set on management. And I just wanted a friend, someone that knew me. And so I remember that phone conversation. I said, my goal is to bring in somebody that could that could shoot me straight all the time. Mm-hmm. That supports us as a band wants to push us but at the same time knows when to say dude shut the hell up you're wrong you're wrong on this situation <laughs> boy did you take that wow. run with it <laughs> some things never change but i remember you said let me think about it with al and you had two babies at home we had uh God, you lose count over the years when you have as many as i do we had three did you? Yeah, you, we had Canon. You had Canon. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, it was 2013. Gotcha. March 2013. Yeah. So I remember you said, let me think it over. You <clears throat> called me and we talked. I was in Nacogdoches. You laugh you because you had extended this offer a couple times. And I think it had kind of become a joke to you a little bit. Right. Because I remember you kind of laughed it off when you threw it out there. Yeah. And I remember hanging up after that conversation and I was like, why is he laughing this off? I am going to move down there and I am going to take this job one of these days. I don't know if this is the day, but I am going to do it. So I felt a little bit upset. And I remember calling you back saying, Hey, I'm taking this serious just to let you know. Yeah. So that, then that started the conversation with Allison and, uh, I cannot praise her enough for that move yep. because she yep. loved Nashville. She loved being there. She, she had did. roots. She had friends and everything. But when I hung up for that phone conversation, she saw something in my eyes. She saw a spark that she hadn't seen in years. And it was the the music business yep. came back calling. You know, I had settled into my normal life. I used to wear a khakis and button up shirt. Yep. Um, and I had a tell great, them, tell them what you did. And I had a great thing going. I was a, um, a district manager for Cytex, which was a basically a glorified laundry company. Right, right. They're they're great in what they did and everything. But uh, that's what I did. I ran that branch. It was like a uh, I was kind of like a Michael Scott. Yeah. In the laundry world, you started that company as a as a temp employee. Yep. Delivering the linens, mm-hmm. running the route, which is grueling in my mind. Yeah. You get up at what time? I'd get up like at 2 o'clock. Uh, oftentimes, you and I would play downtown Nashville at Tootsie's, and I would go straight from playing downtown, yeah. and I would sleep in my big old truck out in the parking lot for an hour, and yeah. then I'd go to work and do the same thing the next night. But uh, Yeah, so progressed through that company, yeah. and um, I got as far as I knew I was going to get, and it didn't matter what I accomplished in that company. It didn't matter what kind of awards or you know, how high up I was going to make it. There was always something missing. And I just had that, just like you, maybe not to the extent you have, but I had that musical gene. It is to the extent. You're Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah, but I, I just couldn't shake it. I, I knew I was never going to find true happiness in my work life. 
unless I was doing something in music. And so that call was, I had prayed, literally prayed, and I pray all the time, but I had remember that prayer very, very distinctively a couple weeks before. And I asked God, I said, God, if you want me to just stay here and keep doing this and be a district manager and stay with this company, I'll do it. I'll be the best damn one. When I didn't say damn to God, but I'll, <laughs> I'll be the best one you want me to be. Yeah. But if you want me to go do something else and you want me to really venture out and do this music stuff, give me some kind of a sign. And that sign came a couple weeks later in your phone call. And I, I love telling that story wow. because it's a, it's the truth for one thing. And it's a, it's a great example of how, uh, you put your life and you put something into God's hands. Yeah. He's going to direct you. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. You, you came in and you said, yes, it shocked me. Mm-hmm. I was very happy. And you came in and you came into a situation that was, uh, kind of volatile. You know, we were playing, we were, we were in a, an old bus, mm-hmm. old blue bus called Atlantic express. And, the band was kind of unorderly, <laughs> you know, and, and one of the tasks I said was, you're, you're going to have to get this band in line. Like, yeah. We can't get them to do anything. Right. All they do is drink and we need them to like, that's fine, but we, we need them to play the show first. And then we also need them to load their stuff back in the trailer when they're done. Cause they had a tendency of, uh, finishing the show and then getting drunk and disappearing and then it would be I've never heard of a band like that. Yeah. It, it would be it would just be a couple people left over to get all of their stuff and put it back in the trailer. So right. I remember when you first came in, I was like, all right, one of your jobs, man, is A, doing that. And B, you had to deal with these club owners. Yep. I don't know how to describe them besides saying uh it's an interesting bunch. Club owners, nightclub owners is a is an interesting breed. There's a lot and and as in most things in life, most of them are good, really good guys. Yeah. But you get a, you get a few of them, one out of ten maybe, that it's a scary situation. Yeah. You're trying, yeah. You're trying to get cash from a guy, especially with a band like us. When we were just starting to pop, we would play a 800 capacity room, <clears throat> and they would think that no one was going to come in. They would predict a thousand, or excuse me, two hundred people would come in, mm-hmm. and we would put 750. And it would shock them, and they're paying cash at the door. So say people are paying five bucks at the door. Then at the end of the night, they would estimate to us, mm-hmm. when I was still involved in that, they would estimate how many people were there. About 350 Yeah. I'll pay. I'm going to open up this safe and give you a wad of cash. It's just beer-soaked cash, you know, ha- just a handful of it. And just put it on the desk and say, we'll, bo- we'll rebook you later. And so part of your job at the, at the beginning was to go, nope, I need this counted. I yeah. need to know why you think it's 350 because I think it was 750 And that was, uh, that, was, that was your job, and it has changed a lot. But the original tour manager for us, that was your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I remember the, getting the band in order being a huge deal yeah. early on. And these are, these are great guys. Are, most of them are all still with us. Um, but that was that was just kind of what band guys did after the show. This was back before we had production guys all in hands and loaders and everything, loading up all the gear. So band was having to do load all their stuff in, 
play, load all their stuff out into the trailer. So they had a, a pretty lengthy day. It was a tough day. But uh, yeah, we'd get a couple guys that would wander off. And <laughs> the trick for me wasn't get it. If I could just get my hands and get in front of these guys, it was no big deal. They're, you know, a lot of times they just need to be reminded, yeah. hey, you need to go lo load your stuff up. But the trick for me was right after a show, you and I would go to the merch table. Yes, that's right. And so I would be pulled away from that. So Because I would sign autographs and take pictures with everyone there yep. every night. Yep. So we would sit there for that. We'd do that merch table for two hours sometimes, just you taking pictures and doing autographs for everybody. And uh, eventually I'd have one of our production guys come up and say, Chris, can you go get so-and-so from the bar? He, he's not loading up any of his stuff. And then it became kind of a tug of war. I'd, I'd yeah. leave the bar. So I look at our lives now and it's like, you know, eventually when we start playing again, it's so much, so much easier. Yeah. I don't have to go find band guys at the end of the night. And yeah, we got bigger problems. Yeah, it's like for what sure. Tyler always says, "Bro, you got to get bigger problems." Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting because those guys would. Uh, you have to understand that them doing that, it's a lot easier, I should say, to to play a show, load your stuff, put it in the trailer when there's not that many people there and no one really cares. Mm -hmm. Or if you're tired and you're, you're ready to get home. But the thing was, this was new to everyone. A, an exciting crowd that loved us, that was packing in the doors of these small clubs, was very fun for the band, too. Mm -hmm. So you got a lot of pretty girls, oh, yeah. a lot of cool guys that are wanting to buy you a shot, wanting to tell you how great your guitar playing or your drumming is or your bass playing, whatever. And so it it's a huge distraction because you got a lot of you got seven hundred new friends every night. Mm -hmm. Man, come here, but you play guitar so good. I'm picking on Todd. Let me buy you a shot, and then that turns into two shots, and then some pretty girls come up and they want to they want to tell you how good you are, and and some of the guys would want to exchange numbers, and it it was just um, it was overwhelming to the ego. So it's hard to blame them for the, what they were doing. They weren't just lawless. Mm -hmm. They weren't just revolting against us. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the night, we had to look look after the crew guys. And my so you fast forward seven years and your job. What did you say? How many years? With because uh, it was yesterday you texted yeah, me. Yeah, seven years yesterday. Seven years yesterday. Yeah. So your job has changed so much in seven years from from those days being that's your responsibility to now. Yeah. Uh, you, Many times are managing an arena tour, right? Which is much more an arena tour for you. Say it's a Kane Brown tour or a Luke <clears throat> Bryan tour. It's much more hands off of the band, mm -hmm. and much more hands on with the venue and the promoter, for sure. And our meet and greets and uh, radio facilitating and and um, yeah, it's it's been yeah, it's, it's a whirlwind. It's definitely perceived as bigger things, but. You know, at the end of the day, it's from 2013 to 2020, your goal is to get whatever vehicles you're traveling in, get them parked, get everything loaded in, sound check, do a show, do a meet and greet, or do a meet and greet and then do a show, collect money at the end of the night. I mean, those yeah. basic principles never change. It yeah. just becomes uh, a more vast venue, a greater amount of people to deal with, you know, but the principles are the same yeah the uh, it might be important to say too because somebody might li listen and go man he met everybody at the end of the night and took pictures and autographs why doesn't he still do that 
Well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, one of them being just the longevity of our touring life, the lifestyle of touring. It was crushing, not just me. It, it, it was, it was the venues had to deal with the lines of the people. Mm-hmm. You had to be pulled away from your job as actually getting paid and getting the band and gear. Right. And um, it, it became a security issue every night, which was overstaffing venues or that were always understaffed. And so, and maybe even bigger than all those was we needed to go to sleep. Yeah, for sure. We needed to I, stop and unwind. Also, the toll that that puts on your voice. Yeah. I mean, I would be hoarsed at the end of the night yeah. just from also, because you're, a lot of these nightclubs, the DJ keeps on playing. Yeah. And the DJ even gets louder after the live music has stopped. Yeah. So here you are at the merch table, and every single person that comes along and you're not one of those that just doesn't talk to people you talk to every person that comes through and so you're shouting and you're screaming over the dj and by the end of the night it's like you've done three shows yeah because you've done your 90 minutes and you've done two hours worth of screaming at people at the merch table so so the way we transitioned into meet and greets before the show which was unheard of at the time Mm -hmm. for for us for that level for that level so we did meet and greets before and then we realized we should probably charge money for right. those meet and greets. Otherwise, we're dealing with 500. Who wouldn't want to go buy a ticket and go see the artist first? And then I would if it was George Strait. So yeah. we, then we put a, a money on it. And then, and then we put a limit on that. Right. Uh, but it's been a fun evolution. And I don't want to spend this whole um, conversation talking about that. Um, I kind of want to get into your new life as a comedian. <laughs> I want to take a quick break. Quick break from the interview with Chris. I hope you're liking this podcast so far. My name is Granger Smith. This is the Granger Smith Podcast, episode 36. I want to tell you just a couple things before we get back to Chris. Um, Ways to find me, grangersmith.com. If you go right to that homepage, boom, you're going to find out when these tours are going to start back up and when you can get tickets. I'm hopefully going to announce this on social media as they start trickling in because they will because we will be completely back to normal. It's not a matter of if, it is when. Reject the idea of the new normal, the way, the new way of life, all that is false. Reject that because collectively as, a, as people we're going to come together and realize that we could defeat any kind of enemy. Uh, I want you to go to Granger Smith because you could you could find that I'm doing virtual meet and greets. Uh, we typically do these on Wednesday nights, and they do sell out quickly. But usually around Thursday or Friday, we announce the next weeks, and we put them on the website right there on the homepage, so you can get a meet and greet with me. And it's basically holding the phone, and and I'm basically skyping, FaceTiming you, and we get to have a five or six, seven minute conversation. Um, those have been really cool. Uh, you could also find me on Cameo. It's an app or a website, Cameo.com. You can find me on there, and you could book me to give you a video, and I'll literally send you a video saying what you want me to say, whether it's happy birthday, happy anniversary, uh, happy graduation, uh, get well soon. You name it. I do these daily. It's so fun. Um, Cameo, it also allows you to direct message me so we could literally direct message text back and forth and th- these are um these are ways for me to make up on on income so that w- and and i'm okay here with yee apparel but this is 
to try to build our touring company back up to take care of the guys. We still have to pay health insurance, uh, bus insurance, liability insurance, uh, um, bus payments. So there, there's there's a certain amount of business expenses that we still have to maintain to stay alive. So I'm doing everything I can. Uh, and it also just allows me to to keep in touch, to keep in touch with you guys and uh, and feel your heartbeat of, of what you're needing, what you're liking, what you're wanting. And that's important. Um, last thing we're doing is these live streams. And some of you might have seen them, but we're going to try to put out these live streams twice a week. And we're going to do these on YouTube and Facebook. You could come, you could watch it. We're going to do some throwback songs. Comment below if you have a song request, and we'll put it on the next the next uh, live show we do. But we're getting the guys together. We're calling it Live at the Yee Farm. It has been a blast. You can see the old ones on my YouTube page, and they're all free. And just like this podcast, it's all free. Um, we do offer a virtual tip jar at Venmo forward slash Granger Smith. PayPal is info at grangersmith.com and the cash app is dollar sign Earl Dibbles Jr. So I do want to set that up and I do want to talk about it because uh, in in this whole crazy mess I'm trying to I'm trying to just maintain a livelihood that we could go right into touring and boom, no problem. So definitely not asking for much. Zero dollars is totally acceptable. One dollar is perfect. That's all we're saying. Love you guys. Back to Chris Lee. When did Chris Gaines start? Chris Gaines has always been here. <laughs> yeah. No, um, you know, the, the whole Gaines mantra thing, it started with weightlifting. And uh, about six or seven about seven years ago, right before I moved down here, uh, I, I got into fitness. I, I started looking in the mirror, and I had I had a couple kids at the time. Started looking in the mirror, and I'm like, God, I just, I'm not going to make it to 60 years old. I'm not yeah. going to see these kids graduate and, and everything. So I knew I had to make some changes. So long story short, I got really serious about my health. Um, when I moved down here and I started to go lift with you and Tyler, it became an extra motivation, an extra challenge for me to not just be fit, but to see if I can outlift you guys, mm. which I'm still trying to do. <laughs> um, so that's when that whole thing came along. And I've always loved the Garth Brooks character, yeah. Chris Gaines. Yeah. I always have. I, I thought the album was cool. I thought the idea was brilliant and everything. So um, I liked pairing that kind of using that little spinoff with my name and Chris Gaines, you know, only it's spelled G-A-I-N-Z. So that's kind of where that started. Um, and, you know, all my social media and everything was based around, hey, look, I'm, I'm lifting weights because it's, it's an old weightlifting adage, right? If, you're, if you don't take an Instagram photo of you lifting weights, then right. did it really happen? So that was kind of the, what started that mess. So I... Uh, few episodes ago i had dusty on here mm -hmm. and i was telling dusty that he's he's like a sneaky funny yeah and and that that came up because when earl came out and people were the radio would always say you're so funny you're so funny earl is so funny were you always so funny were you always the class clown you were you and and I would always answer, man, I'm not I'm not even the third or fourth funniest guy on my bus. <laughs> 
And I throw Dusty into that category above yeah. me because Dusty is a, a quiet comedian. Mm-hmm. He's He doesn't bur- burst open the door and here's the joke, there's Dusty, we all laugh. Right. He's We're all having a conversation and he's in the background and he says something that just gets us yeah. really laughing. But you are the bust in the yeah. door with the joke guy. And that is, that's not recent. You've just always been that guy. For sure. Uh, since the Garland Opry playing drums, you were the guy that had the funny quip that was had people rolling. Yeah. And uh, and that that's why I recruited you for a country boy song mm-hmm. at the very beginning. Because I need this guy. And I think you were, what were some of your lines in that song? It was like the meth uh, head. Yeah, the line. meth head was the most notable. Yeah. Um, I keep a 12 gauge by my waterbed. Because the, the next, next trailer, trailer over, there's, there's a meth head. head. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking that and like writing it down at the time, thinking there's no way he's going to go for this lyric. Yeah. It's it's too far out there, but it's funny to me. Yeah. So, yeah, it and did okay. Through our days in Nashville, many, many years ago, <clears throat> you were writing funny songs. Yeah. You were taking either a popular song and making a funny parody, but not not like a silly parody, like a ridiculous version right and then you were writing original funny songs mm-hmm. and it's funny because i remember you thinking your your grandpa your big your biggest advocate your biggest fan who is also the man that raised you right taught you to be a man taught you everything you know from birth yeah and you felt a little bit of regret because he was a musician and mm-hmm. loved country music. You felt a little bit of regret to write funny songs when, yeah. you, when you could be using that talent to write serious songs to change people's lives. Right. <laughs> it's funny. What I learned with Earl is that you can change people's lives being funny also. Yeah, absolutely. A smile is, is a cure to many, many ailments. Yeah. So you were, you were always funny, but then you started a YouTube channel you're, you're keep, you, meanwhile, you're keeping us laughing constantly on the road and the bus. But you start a YouTube channel about really fitness and weightlifting. Mm-hmm. And the funny pieces of that started to evolve into a comedy channel. Yeah. And then you told me a few years ago that I never knew about you, that you actually had a dream of yourself being a stand-up comedian. Yeah, for sure. And so that so tell me how that... What that is now and how your YouTube page looks now and the direction that you want to take that. Yeah, I obviously I like the weightlifting aspect of the, the channel and everything, but I found myself only enjoying doing the funny parts of it. Yeah. it's And I kept asking myself, am I contributing in a positive manner really with this weightlifting? Because there are a gazillion weightlifting channels out there. And uh, I, I noticed that I didn't have the passion for the weightlifting part of it. I really had the passion for making people laugh. Yeah. And I all, I've always had that. I mean, going from getting in trouble in Sunday school, yeah. you know, for cracking jokes and making people laugh and everything, um, that's always just been a part of me. And so I thought, you know, I can contribute to this world, and it doesn't have to be in a serious manner. Because... Who doesn't need a smile this day and age, right? Right. And if I could put a little something out there, bring a smile to somebody's face, make them chuckle a little bit, I've made a contribution. That's everything, man. That's everything. Uh, So what's your YouTube channel? YouTube channel is Chris Gaines, G-A-I-N-Z, comedy. 
Yeah. How, how often are you putting out videos and when did the songs, because you know I'm all about the songs. I yeah. love, You're I like, love you should do you... nothing but songs. Like, it <laughs> takes love, time, Granger. I love when you do the songs. So yeah. what, what's your plan with this channel? And it's definitely taken on a new life um, with this whole shutdown. Yeah, for sure. The plan is, so I do a, a weekly video. Every Tuesday I put a new video out. My goal is to put a new song out every month. I just put the Frozen parody out uh, last week. Um, so my goal with that is just to do a song every month, to do a new video every week. And I'm going to keep making these funny videos as long as people keep watching them. Yeah. I, I legitimately uh, enjoy doing this stuff. I mean, it just it fuels my creative juices. I, I have a good time with it. And uh, like I said, if I can bring a smile to somebody's face, make somebody laugh, then I, I feel like I've done something. It's awesome. It's really good, too. So if you guys haven't seen it, go check out his YouTube page and then comment on his latest video, Granger Smith Podcast, so that we know it worked. Yeah. We know we know the engagement worked. Um, man, I, I'm uh, just even thinking about the 25 years that we've known each other and mm -hmm. the evolution in our friendship. Um, I'm excited to see what the next 25 will bring. And um, we've gone from... From work partners to to friends, back to work partners slash friends also. Yeah. Um, we don't have a whole lot of work now as far as uh, tour management side. You do uh, a few things schedule-wise. I've seen a couple, <laughs> and I'm not going to mention specifics, but yeah. I've seen a couple of shows come through on email this week, and I'm just ecstatic. Yeah. It's like my favorite part of this week this week is getting those emails and being able to enter them into our schedule. And I love that you love touring. You have a massive passion for touring, for being on the road, for for basically managing the entire touring operation. And if, if you ever wonder what a personal manager does versus a tour manager, it's exactly in the title. Personal manager, which is Tyler, uh, manages my music life, and Chris is in charge of the tour. Um, and it's just, it's really refreshing to see someone that loves their job like you do and is so passionate about it and that is diligent in staying and just growing that because I've even, speaking of job offers, I've even talked to you before about, Hey, mm -hmm. do you want me to, we could open something up in Yee Yee Apparel as Yee Yee Apparel continues to grow. Um, eventually we're going to need a warehouse manager of that sort. Mm -hmm. And that would provide you an opportunity to get off the road, maybe make the same money, but still be involved in the team, mm -hmm. but not travel. And, and you're like, nope, I like tour managing. I love the show, man. Yeah, I, I do. I love going to new towns. I, I love meeting fans. I, I love to see your growth as an artist. Um, I'm going to see this thing through. You know, as long as you keep doing this, I'm going to be right there. Yeah. Unless you get rid of me, which would be silly. No, I've tried to a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, we, everyone does at some point. We have fought like brothers, and uh, but more often we have fought on the same side versus uh, bad patrons and yeah. bad club owners. Um, we have we have carried people out, or I've at least watched you carried people out. Uh, hasn't happened lately. No, thank God. But uh, in Hayes, Kansas, 2014. Oh my God. <laughs> many, many stories. If you guys want to hear some some more of these stories, comment below. <laughs> we'll get Chris back on. Maybe we'll do an episode of just road stories, just tour stories, um, the good and the bad. So, anyway, I hope you come back, man. 
Ah, this again. Thanks for having me. And we'll do it uh, next time, maybe on the bus when we're deep into touring again. Yeah, I like the sound of that. (laughs) See you guys.